Welcome to East Texas News Roundup for the week ending June the 21st, 2019. East Texas News Roundup is a weekly review of the news in five southeast Texas counties covered by Polk County Publishing Company newspapers, including Tyler, Polk, Trinity, San Jacinto, and Houston counties, by the editors of those five newspapers. Polk County Publishing Company manager Kelly Barnes kicks off this week's podcast. Hi, this is Kelly Barnes, and I'm coming to you from the Livingston, Texas office to talk with you about what's going on in Polk County as reported in the Polk County Enterprise. And I just have to say, I cannot believe that it's already the third week in June. That's what we're talking about here, the third week in June of 2019. That's kind of amazing. And if any of you are like me, and you've already taken your summer vacations, you're going to have to hunker down like I am and stay at work for the next six months. So we've got to get busy. In this case, we are busy, busy covering Polk County. And I see headline news. Livingston ISD board agreed to $1 million in pay raises. There's a quote here from Dr. Brent Hawkins, the Livingston superintendent. We appreciate the work of our legislature and look forward to the hope of a continued positive public education agenda. LISD has not received any new revenues from the state for the last two years. And this story was brought to you by Brian Besh from our newsroom. And I know you're used to him being sports editor, but if you haven't heard me say it before, he's a very talented news writer and he can do anything, not just sports. And it says here, Livingston School District has utilized the funds gained from a recent passing of House Bill 3 in Austin to distribute over $1 million in salary hikes Monday. The school finance bill passed last week and provides $6.5 billion to Texas public school spending. It increases the basic allotment at Livingston ISD from $5,140 per student to $6,160 per student for a total amount of $3.25 million. And 30% of this, which is $977,000, must be used for salary increases for teachers, librarians, registered nurses, and counselors. And the balance of the money is about $244,000 will be used for all other positions except administration. A recommendation was made to the board to allow more salary expenditures than the state requirement mandated. So LISD stepped up and decided to spend even more. And it helps retain the best teachers possible. This is a quote by Dr. Brent Hawkins. Because it will give a $3,000 raise for teachers, librarians, RNs, and counselors on a salary document that places us in the top quartile of our market area. So the rest of that story is in the paper this week. And when I started coming to Livingston on a regular basis, this building downtown has always been um, interesting to me. And Valerie Riddell, our news director, has taken a photo of this building that's beside the courthouse. And I'm going to just read this cut line because it's so interesting to me. Architects and engineers are examining the old county courthouse annex building to determine what would be needed to stabilize the long vacant structure. Also known as the Campbell Foreman Building, it is located on the southwest corner of the courthouse square and was originally built over 100 years ago 
to house the county clerk and the clerk's records vault. While the annex study is being paid for using local money, it is part of an overall courthouse restoration project funded primarily through a Texas Historical Commission grant. Also, on page one, Walgreens is set to open its store on Friday. Employees have been busy stocking the shelves. Again, Valerie Riddell, our news director, she's been about town this week. She's got pictures here of the Walgreens Pharmacy, and it will be open this Friday in Livingston, and it is located where Payless Shoes used to be. So be watching for that, and I'm going to say that probably, most likely, Walgreens will be having an insert in our paper. We've been working on that project, and so you can see what they have for sale as you get your Polk County Enterprise. There was an electrical fire that damaged a home. The firefighters rushed to 100 block of Skyview Drive in Livingston, where an unoccupied house caught fire shortly before 5 p.m. on Tuesday. Fire Chief Corky Cochran said it appeared that the fire began at an electrical panel in the laundry room of the house where hose teams found substantial damage to the southeast corner of the house extending into the attic. An electrical panel was located near the source of the fire. So this is the firefighters from the Onalaska and Scenic Luke Fire Departments that responded and Livingston were providing additional help. And the Livingston police had to close Skyview Drive near Pan America Drive for about an hour while the fire crews contain the fire. So that story is also in the paper. Looks like the judge is stepping down in a county clerk lawsuit. According to our news director, Valerie Riddell, let's see what it says. The judge assigned to preside over a bench trial in the ongoing dispute between District Attorney Lee Hahn and County Clerk Shalena Hawk has stepped down for health reasons, according to sources familiar with the case. Court records showed that a bench trial had been set for June 24 in the 411th District Court despite a filing on May 10th by Eric Maggie, counsel for Respondent Hawk. Maggie had scheduled a vacation for June 17th to June 25th, and the district attorney applied for a subpoenas on May 30th, compelling witnesses to appear on June 24th. You can read all about that in the Enterprise. There is a humor night planned at First United Methodist Church. It looks like nationally recognized speaker Gene Robertson will appear on Tuesday, August the 6th at First United Methodist in Livingston, and she has a funny style that illustrates a sense of humor is more than a laughing matter. If you know of her or if you'd like to know more, that's something that's interesting. Vacation Bible School at Central Baptist Church will be June 24th through 28th. So if you've got kids, grandkids, make sure you get them signed up because there's fun food and games for the whole family. Everyone is welcome and it's all free. It's from 6 to 8 p.m. each night in the Family Center. And don't forget, Livingston has a farmer's market every Saturday morning from 7 to 10 a.m. at Anniversary Park next to Melbo's. That's a big deal. Noscala is giving away a Cadillac to a lucky winner. The drawing's going to be June 30th, so between now and then, you should get down to Noscala and take advantage of that drawing. Someone is going to win that Cadillac. 
I would love to know who. We will have to report on that. The Livingston Rotary Club, President Cole Puckett, presents a check for $250 to Sarah Ditkins to benefit Camp Invention, a summer camp program in Livingston for students grades kindergarten through six. It teaches innovative science, technology, engineering, and mathematics concepts. So this is a Camp Invention donation. So that's good. Slitterbond is open for the season. Slitterbond Lions Club president has presented a check for $500 to Rhonda Barton of the Polk County Youth Rodeo Association for the benefit of the association's annual rodeo scheduled in July. So there's something else to do um, in July. Chris Gregory, local wildlife biologist for Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, was a guest speaker recently at the Livingston Rotary Club. And there's a new member. Bill Watson is a new Rotarian. Rotarian Bill Watson inducted a new member, Doug Green, at a recent Rotary Club meeting. Green is a financial advisor for Edward Jones Investments. And Dallardsville is celebrating. Yes, Big Sandy has won the state championship. And according to this, members of the back-to-back state championship Big Sandy baseball team were in the school auditorium Monday to greet fans and sign memorabilia. The Wildcats were crowned champions of Texas 2A baseball for the second consecutive year after defeating Lyndon Kildare 7-1 two weeks ago at Round Rock's Dell Diamond. That was so exciting to listen to. Let's see. Texas Land Law's Topic of Property Owner Workshop is coming to Crockett. Okay, so if you're interested in this, Tiffany Dowell introduces an audience in San Antonio to basic fence law during a Texas A&M AgriLife Extension workshop workshop, and it looks like they're going to do the same workshop in Crockett, Texas on June 28th. So mark your calendar for that. Sam Houston State University has a spring dean's list, and there's, let's see, from Corrigan, here's who's on the dean's list. Jalen Brannon, Jackson Chambly, McKenna Hughes, and Jax Kendricks from Goodrich, Megan Birch, Sarah Esser, Amber Free, and Angela Machuca. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing the names, but I think it's really neat that you have all these. Moscow Shelby Walker on Alaska's Anthony Fight, Patrick Highland, Jordan Jessup, Mark McGarry, and Brenna Provost, all of those. And then Livingston's list is so long of students that are on the dean's list at Sam Houston State University. And I'm going to say their names because this is a big accomplishment. Jordan Agnew, Lauren Barker, Christopher Booth, Anthony Brazier, Kara Churchman, Zachary Dickens, Rance Duff, Mindy Edwards, Allison Faith, Shay Friars, Laura Garcia, Katie Goodman. There's a person on here, and I cannot pronounce this name, but I'm going to spell it so that you get recognition. X-H-O-R-X-H-I-N-A, last name G-J-O-K-A, Tiffany Grace, Misty Griffin, Aliano Gutierrez, Zara Hester, Bailey Hoagland, La Princia Jackson, Brianna Jernigan, Jordan Jones, Andrea Kelly, Megan Kind, Garrison Kincaid, Lauren Lewis, Margie Luna, Jessica Lyons, Preston McCormick, Courtney Miller, Penelope Miller, Taylor Moffitt, Jessica Montgomery, Jalicia Punch, Francisco Rios, Taylor Scott, Brandy Stewart, Madison Trafton, Valeria Trejo, and Maria Wall. Lots of students who made the dean's list 
and that's really great. Looks like there's some garage sales. There's going to be a license to carry class on Sunday, June 23rd, and you can read about that in the classified section of the paper. Now listen to this. Hurricane preparation. Local emergency responders are gearing up for storms. This again is by our news directory, Valerie Riddell. Emergency responders joined elected officials Thursday at the Dunbar Gym for the Polk County Emergency Management Office's second annual hurricane party. Emergency Management Coordinator Courtney Comstock welcomed experts to speak on a variety of concerns that help the community brace for a severe storm during hurricane season. Dan Riley, Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the Houston-Galveston National Weather Service Office, told the crowd that hurricane veterans that they are projecting 9 to 19 named storms by December 1st. Of those, four to eight could become hurricanes with two to four of those classified as major storms. So they're taking this seriously and it looks like Goodrich City Council is doing the same thing. We have a guy that was fleeing. He's a suspect of a possible crime and they tasered. That's in the paper too. On Alaska swears in a police officer. Nicole Metz was sworn in on Tuesday night during On Alaska City Council. And that's by Gary Ashmore. And we appreciate Gary for that reporting. Let's see what else is going on. I'm going to name a couple of more things because there's so much. Oh, don't miss getting your copy of Sunday's Enterprise. And it was Sunday, June 16th. There is a section that's all about the Big Sandy Wildcats and their celebration of their state championship. The whole section is brought to you by Alabama Cushata Tribe of Texas. And you parents and grandparents, teachers, faculty of Big Sandy ISD, you can come by the Enterprise and get a copy of the paper because you don't want to miss um, having that keepsake. Nicholas Russell is shown competing in one of the video games tournaments held during the end of school lock-in. Saturday at the Game Quest in Livingston. So that's interesting. It was Fellowship of Quest provided an end-of-school lock-in to give local children and adults a safe place for summer fun on Saturday, June 9th. And you can read all about that in the paper. There is a Jedi Academy. Let's see what's going on here. A long time ago, Thursday, July 13th, in a galaxy far, far away, the Livingston Municipal Library hosted a Jedi Training Academy for area youth. The young Jedi were trained in lightsaber safety and combat and how to use the force. They then navigated a perilous obstacle course of stormtrooper blasts and hot lava, after which they used the force to defeat the Death Star. The library has many more events and activities planned this summer, and youth can win prizes for participating in the summer reading program. For more information, go to livingstonlibrary.net forward slash news dash events, or you can stop by the library and find out what's going on. You don't want to miss out on what they're doing. There are used books for sale at the Polk County Enterprise office, and the office also has new books. And if you're interested in searching out wildflowers, birds, snakes, we have a lot of Texas books, and that's a great summer project for a family. If you'd like to come by here, or if you're a traveler, there's things that you can get here to help make your summer more enriched. And you can buy them right here at the Polk County Enterprise. I'm 
looking at a file photo here. This is presented by Barbara White, who you know was the former editor of the Polk County Enterprise for many, many years. She's still one of our very best writers, and she, each week in the paper, looks back 25 years. And if you're like me, the older you get 25 years ago, you think, goodness, was it that far and that long ago? Because you can remember all that. But this is interesting. There's a new post office photo. Residents of the area and county officials were among those who attended the grand opening of the new Ace Post Office, which happened on June 15, 1994. The postmaster at the time was Joan Davis. And relief postmaster was Anne Montrang, and it had been operating out of a mobile home for five years while awaiting the completion of the new building. And then there was as a great picture that's very easy to see the faces of these people. Let's see if we can read land donation. On hand to witness the donation of 2.85 acres of land adjacent to Pedago Park on June 17, 1994, were Livingston City Secretary Marilyn Sutton, City Manager Sam Gordon, Pine Cove Festival Committee Chairman Joey Pedago, Festival Committee President Diane Stevens, David Hancock, past committee chairman who arranged for the donation, Keep Polk County Beautiful President Faye Jackson, and Treasurer John Slocum, and Monty Stringer of Hanover Insurance, which previously owned the land that would eventually be the site of a park pavilion. I love those looking backs, and that's a really good one. There's been a series of of stories and photos in the paper leading up to this summer from the SPCA about how you can care for animals. And there's a story in the Enterprise Sunday about dropping off animals is not a solution. And I agree, those animals deserve better than that. And there's a story in here about this. Buddy, a two-year-old boxer, was left in an exercise pen Thursday night at the SPCA, the Polk County's animal shelter. Low on funds and out of space, SPCA officials are asking the public not to abandon their pets in this manner. If you need to rehome a pet, please call 936-327-7722. And Brian Besh um, on the sports page has a story. Parker to lead area champs. And let's see what this is. After a 21-4A district championship season in 2019, Livingston Soccer will have a new head coach for the upcoming school year. Chris Parker is going to be the coach. And you can read all about him here in the Sunday edition June 16th of the Polk County Enterprise. There's also a chart here of high school baseball coaches, all state teams, class 2A, and high school baseball coaches, all state, who made all-star teams. They're all listed in the Sunday Enterprise. I love this. There's a photo here in the paper of twin brothers Carly and Charlie Smith, who are now 91 years old. They're shown as infants with their mother, Minnie Smith. So you can see them as an infant and then see them sitting beside each other right here at 91 years old. Let's see, they took a stroll down memory lane recalling events from Polk County's past, and that story is also in the Enterprise. So as you can see, there's a lot going on in Polk County, plenty to do, plenty to read about in the Polk County Enterprise, so stop by and get your copy or call to subscribe. Thank you. Well, hello, everyone. This is Jacob McAdams of the San Jose News Times. I am its editor, and I am going to be bringing you all of the news from June 9th to June 15th. 
Now, on June 10th, we had the Shepherd City Council meeting, and the meeting was pretty interesting. Although it was generally small, there was some discussion with Brenda Myers, who is the executive director of the Community and Children's Impact Center. Now, if you've paid attention to our past editions of the newspaper, you may be aware that Brenda Myers and the Impact Center, they now have two new buildings on their property, which is on South Bird Avenue. You're heading towards the highway. And Brenda Myers has wanted to use those to benefit the community. She wants to turn one of those buildings into a after-school activities program for kids. Uh, the other one she wants to turn into a food pantry, and she's hoping to get those done real soon. But there had been some concerns that were addressed during the city council meeting. And first and foremost, Regarding the food pantry idea, concerns that were brought up were, you know, not that it's a bad idea. And a lot of people felt like, you know, it's certainly not a bad idea to do charity. But the concern that was brought up is uh, whether or not if another food pantry enables people to want to just get food as opposed to finding work and working on their own. And Brenda Myers had said that there are people that she knows are trying to work, but they don't have vehicles to travel. And she just wants to help alleviate a need. She's been told, according to her, that there's been still a need for food, even though Shepard does have some avenues news that do address food shortages. And for instance, there is the Helping Hands Food Pantry, which is located not too far from the Shepherd Intermediate School. And there's all monthly, there are the food trucks that come from Houston Food Bank. And so we have those avenues to provide food in Shepherd. Now, Brenda wants to actually provide food for the entire county as opposed to just Shepherd. But in the county itself has other food trucks that are delivered. And there's also the Care Share Food Pantry up in Cold Spring, for instance. But the way Myers is seeing it is that there's still a need here and she wants to address that need. And the other concern that was brought up as mentioned by City Councilman Mark Porter, Mark had mentioned that there was some issues with whether or not if the buildings in their current placement were violating ordinances. He mentioned that the property is getting a bit crowded and feels that it needs to be addressed. Now, there wasn't any action taken on it, but this has been a recent development in the city of Shepherd. And a lot of people, if you've passed by the impact center, you've noticed those two buildings. They were actually purchased at an auction. They originally belonged to Galena Park ISD, and they were used, I believe, as classrooms. If you went in there before they cleaned them out, you could tell that they were classrooms. But they're still getting them set up. Brenda is looking for donations for it. And if you have concerns, you know, you could always bring them up with the city uh, to figure out how you may or may not feel about it, well as talk to Brenda about what she's planning to do with the buildings. But we'll be keeping an eye on this story for some time just to see how it develops. The other big story that we had is Cold Spring Volunteer Fire Department had its award ceremony on June 11th. And basically, they've had the award ceremonies before. They did it over at the community shelter this time. And they honor the services that their firefighters do and what they do for the community. And the fire chief is Peter Galmeyer. And if you're not familiar with Peter Galmeyer, he's been the fire chief for some time. He's been with the, the fire department itself for about five years. And everyone that, that received an award received what is called the Badge Award. And he also received the Five Years of Service Award. So he's been at Cold Spring Volunteer Fire Department for 
five years. Jason Ayers, who's the assistant fire chief, he also received a badge award and he got the chief's award. We also had fire captain Kristen Loftus and she got the first responder of the year award. Uh, we got uh, fire lieutenant Olivia Kaufman and she received the training award as well as the firefighter of the year award. So she and Kristen, they, they both are pretty outstanding individuals to receive those awards based on the year. We also have Bryce Haylock and he received the active member award and the one-year service award. An interesting thing about Bryce Haylock, he actually just graduated from high school from here in Cold Spring. So he's a very, very young guy, but he's out here volunteering and helping out, fighting the fires and everything, just like these older individuals. We also have Emmett Eldridge the second. He received the training award. And then we also had Charles Jeffcoat and Lance Durham. They received their badge awards. And like I said, everyone received a badge award that night. And it's an amazing thing. A lot of people, I think, don't realize, of course, that firefighters, the, the majority of them are volunteer. And so these guys are doing this on their own time. They have jobs outside of all this. I know Peter Galmeyer, he's a teacher and he's over at Shepherd High School, actually. And Jason Ayers actually works in Conroe at the police department. So that guy works two counties over, but he volunteers to be a firefighter here in San Jacinto County in Cold Spring. So these guys do put in a lot of effort to be firefighters and EMS workers, make sure that they're helping out the county. And speaking of EMS work, we do have another story. I got to talk to Dan Kira, who's the president of the San Jacinto County First Responders, and he told me that they have brought back a program that will help out anyone who has uh, special needs during an emergency situation. And according to Dan Kira, this program was actually done a while back, and then the San Jacinto County Emergency Management Office took it over. And unfortunately, the office couldn't maintain it from what I'm understanding. And so the first responders decided to bring it back. So the way it works is if you, or perhaps if you have a family member who has special needs, that could be special medications they have to take. That could be, do they require a wheelchair? Or do they require an oxygen tank? That sort of thing. You could actually submit that information to the first responders. It's strictly confidential. And that information can be used to better assist special needs individuals. And the way Dan Kira described it is, it works in a number of ways. First of all, if an emergency call is sent out, the callers could get information from that database to make sure that they are taking care of your special needs. The other way it works is the first responders are providing decals to these individuals that have special needs, and you can put it on your home, on the door that the first responders are going to be going through, and they'll know, okay, there's a special needs individual in here. If you have a list of medications, you can have that list placed on your refrigerator, and they'll know what medications you need to take or what you're currently taking, that sort of thing. So it's meant to better serve you. Now, if you want to get your information submitted, you can find forms all around the county at the different fire stations. You can get one at the San Jose County Sheriff's Office. I believe they have forms over at the Cold Spring Library. I do know at the very least all the firefighters in the sheriff's office have them. And they should also have envelopes that are pre-printed with the address that you can send it to. That way, you know, you get the form, you have the envelope, you don't need to fill out the address on it. And you just send that in and it goes to the first responders. And then they take that information and they put it in their database. Now, the way Dan Kira has explained it is on the forms, the top form goes to the first responders. The bottom form goes to you. You put it on your fridge. It's got your medications and whatnot. So that way you will have that available for any first responders. So you work that in and it better serves you. Make sure you get that all straightened out and that'll help you out if you have any special needs. 
Anyway, that's all the news we really had last week, all of our major news stories. But you'll want to keep an eye on what we've got in the future. We do have a breaking story. It's currently in development because there's not a lot of information, but there were some skeletal remains found in in Shepherd, and we're going to be keeping a close eye on what's going on there. But anyway, that's all we have, and hope to see you all next week. Howdy, everybody. Chris Edwards coming at you here from Tyler County and uh, bringing you the news and events from around east, representing the eastern part of the Polk County Publishing family of newspapers. And uh, certainly glad you're listening to the East Texas News Roundup. So here's a few things that are going on here in Tyler County, taken from this week's edition of the Tyler County Booster. Our first our lead story this week has to do with a pipeline that is said to be completed in early 2021. The CJ Express pipeline, which was first announced last year, is an expansion project that's being constructed by Midcoast Energy LLC of Houston. It's a natural gas pipeline and it's projected to cross Tyler County like almost straight down the middle of the map. And this pipeline also, it would start in Shelby County and run all the way through to Hardin County, like into the north end of Coontz. And what it is, is it's going to pass through six counties as the projected route for 107 miles of 36 inch pipe. And the right-of-way acquisition for this, from what we can find, has already begun. And they've already found an anchor shipper for the project as of April. And basically, the pipe is to expedite natural gas from the East Texas area into the Houston and Gulf Coast markets. So be on the lookout for more information about this as it's made available. There's been some questions asked about this project, mainly having to do with land acquisition as well as the environmental impact. And both of those things we've addressed this week with what information we have at hand about it. Now, the thing about the land acquisition is with the pipeline project, eminent domain is the rule of the day with this kind of project with the, in the Texas Railroad Commission, even though they regulate the safety of pipeline projects from a statutory standpoint, they have no say over, say, permitting such a project. So be on the lookout for more information about it, as well as we're going to have some tips from someone connected with the, the Texas AgriLife Extension Program who will supply some tips for how to negotiate with uh, pipeline companies when they approach you uh, for easements and such. For Tyler County residents, just be on the lookout for information forthcoming about this. One of our other top stories this week has to do with the city of Ivanhoe. Their city marshal, Terry Riley, was recently charged with official oppression. Now, Terry is a longtime resident and has worked in various uh, law enforcement capacities and has volunteered and done different things in Tyler County. He's been city marshal in Ivanhoe for two years now. And let me read you the text of of the indictment or, or a part of it, rather. On June 7th, the completed investigation was submitted to a Tyler County grand jury. The indictment handed down by the grand jury alleges that Riley intentionally subjected Raymond Harrison, an Ivanhoe resident, to, quote, detention or seizure or dispossession that he knew was unlawful. And this happened allegedly on February the 16th, 2018. What's at stake here is it's alleging that he illegally seized this gentleman's home and abused his position to do so. Now, the thing about this is the state attorney general's office is acting as a, in a prosecutorial sense for this case, and the investigation is being handled by the Texas Rangers. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that he is a public servant, a law enforcement officer, but also with the prosecutorial side, it, it has to do with the fact that our DA, Lucas Babin, recused himself from handling this case. So, again, 
again, because I know that when we broke this story on Facebook, you know, a lot of people you know, were up in arms you know, rushing to Terry's defense. And you had some people on there very critical of things that he had allegedly done. But keep in mind that these are just allegations or this is just an allegation and it hasn't gone to trial yet. And the charge itself actually is a class A misdemeanor. It's not a felony or anything. But I spoke with the mayor of Ivanhoe, Kathy Bennett, and she said that the, the city council and herself, they're standing behind Terry 100 percent. And she said basically that this charge is bogus and that once he goes to trial, it'll all clear up. So again, this is an ongoing investigation, but also this is a recently breaking story. So please stay tuned if this is something that interests you and we will have more developments as they come to us. Moving along... Going to the north end of the county, Colmanil. Colmanil recently awarded a contract for some culvert and bridge repair work in part of the city, and they awarded the bid to a Drury construction of Nacogdoches. So that's a good thing. They've been talking about these repairs for a while, and down in Chestertown... There is an event coming up on June the 22nd through 23rd, that's this weekend, at the City Park there in Chester that's the uh, Amateur Radio Field Day exercise. Now, this is something they do every year, and we did a story about this this week, kind of encourage people to, anybody who might have an interest in amateur radio operation or any amateur radio operators in the county who might not know about these guys to come on out and participate. It's something that I've never really known a whole lot about. I knew that they did these exercises every year and that there was a group of amateur or ham radio operators that they're called. And I'm, I'm not even sure why they're called ham radio operators, but I always thought that was kind of cool. Apparently, amateur radio, it's been going on for over 100 years and it's basically uh, provided a free public service for these radio operators for their communities, especially useful during disaster times or emergencies. And you can do it all without a cell phone or internet access. And one of the aims of Amateur Field Day, what it hopes to accomplish is to demonstrate how ham radios can operate reliably under any bad conditions and from just about any location. Apparently last year in total, nationally for the field day, because this is a national celebration. I mean, there's ham radio operators all over the country, but apparently there were over 35,000 people who participated in this event last year in their, within their respective communities. So Seems like something that'll be really good. Uh, maybe get some some younger people interested in this art. I, th- I think it's an art as much as it is a science. So also, this week in the booster, we've got some information. All the schools are out of session, and so don't have the scholastic athletic events, but there's some summer league stuff going on, and, and we're kind of doing some things about looking into what some of the schools, what their summer workout programs are. So this week, our Woodville sports writer, Hale Hughes, did. So uh, be sure and check that out and how Eagle athletes are preparing for the fall season and plenty of other good information this week in the booster so if you happen to be anywhere around Tyler County be sure to pick you up a copy wherever fine newspapers are sold unless of course you already subscribe to it then there you go <laughs> so yeah I hope everybody out there is enjoying the summertime and I hope the living is as George Gershwin wrote kind of easy you know that old song summertime and the living is easy Hope it's kind of easy and, and been kind of breezy for some. Uh, it's been getting real hot out there, but you catch a good breeze every once in a while. And it's just, 
heavenly. Before I go, I want to kind of give some words of advice about something about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. And kind of this has nothing to do with anything in Tyler County per se, but this is more of something that's been on the national radar lately. We're losing all these great musical artists. And there was like just within the last couple of weeks, some of my favorites anyway, uh, Leon Redbone died and then Rocky Erickson and then Dr. John. And it was just like, boom, 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 you know, in rapid succession, it seemed like. And man, it was just this hard to deal with because I mean, all three of those guys, I just love all three of them to no end. And also there was a guitar player, a little Buck Senegal who died too. And I wasn't as familiar with his work, but I had some friends who had seen him live and said he was just the real deal. So I have to check him out posthumously. But here's the thing that I want to bring up about that is that I try not to live my life with too many regrets. I mean, it's human nature. It's it's inevitable that you are going to have some regrets in your pathway through your life's journey. But most of the things I do deeply regret are, are never having gone seen some of the musicians that I really, really love. And those three guys, I never saw Leon Redbone perform. I never saw Dr. John and I never saw Rocky Erickson. And I love all three of those guys to no end. And the list goes on. I never got to see Guy Clark. I never got to see Merle Haggard. I never saw Aretha Franklin. I never saw Allison Chains or Pantera or George Jones for that matter. And I mean, all those artists are ones that I just, those are some of my favorite bands and, and artists and just never took the, I was always like, well, you know, I'll go see them the next time they come through, you know, whatever the nearest city was or whatever. And it's odd because I mean, I've probably seen more live music than just about anybody I know. And yet there's so many artists that loom large in my record collection that I never got to see them live before they passed. And so I guess the advice that I'd like to impart in all that is this. If, you know, there's so many of these guys that are just phenomenal artists who are getting up there in age. And if you dig them, go out and see them. Seek out their shows. Buy their records. Support them because they're not getting any younger. A co-worker was asking me for advice one day about, uh, she and her husband were kind of having some anxiety about going to see Aaron Neville. You know, I think her thing was, you know, they she thought they might feel odd being at a show or whatever, being older or whatever. I'm like, no. I mean, Aaron, first of all, Aaron Neville's incredible. Second of all, have a good time, you know? I mean, that's culture. Support, you know, support the arts and especially these older artists who are very much the real deal. I mean, I remember back, I've always been a huge George Jones fan, for example, and always was, you know, planning to go see him in concert, but of course I never did. And same thing with like John Lee Hooker, you know, it seemed like some of these guys live forever, but they're mortal like the rest of us. So support these guys. Whatever artists, if it's an old band that's on their last legs and, and you just got that one chance to go see them perform, go do it. And by that same time, token, any of these bands that have parted ways due to whatever kind of petty differences or whatever, please reunite before it's too late and give the fans that one last kind of opportunity to see you. I'm, I'm talking about you, Cross Canadian Ragweed and the Talking Heads and the Smiths and the other band with the CCR initials, Credence Clearwater Revival. You guys, get it together and do it for the fans, you know, do it for the good of humanity. So, uh, I guess that's kind of tangent of advice there. But yeah, just support these guys and the ones that are, especially the ones that are getting up in age. Anyways, I hope everybody has had a great week thus far. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the East Texas News Roundup. I am Chris Edwards, and I'm certainly glad that listening and uh, be good to yourselves and one another. Check you later. This week in Trinity County, we have a feature on Apple Springs Valedictorian Lydia Rogers, 
who will be going to Texas A&M in the fall. She talks about her experience at Apple Springs. We also have a photo page of Trinity's Juneteenth celebration, which took place last Saturday, as well as a photo page of Centerville High School's graduation and three photo pages of Lansbury Elementary School's awards assembly. The Lansbury awards assembly pages and the Centerville graduation pages are in this week's B section, while the Juneteenth photo page is on 8A of this week's section. Centerville ISD hired former student Jeffrey Hollis to be its junior high basketball coach at its school board meeting last week. And um, at the Trinity City Council meeting last week, Amado Padilla, who is a new officer with the Trinity Police Department, was introduced to the City Council. And the Trinity County Sheriff's Office and Trinity County Crime Stoppers are teaming up to put on a fresh fish fry this Friday in Trinity. They had a fish fry recently in Groveton, and the fish fries are raising funds for body cameras for the Sheriff's Office. 